This is Faith Revisited. Welcome to the podcast. On Faith Revisited, we'll talk about our own church as we're constantly trying to adapt to an ever-changing world as a downtown historic church. We'll talk about United Methodist Matters as our denomination faces an exciting and uncertain future. We'll explore church leadership in the 21st century. And we'll talk to different faith leaders about their perspectives of religion today, how we can be more authentic, stop alienating people, and how faith is more important than ever to connect us to God and each other. Hey, maybe we'll touch on a topic that speaks to exactly where you are in your faith. We won't know until we try, right? Let's do it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Faith Revisited podcast. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. So schedule-wise, when this episode comes out, we will have just completed a live stream, our very first um, live podcast recording with the United Methodist Church Podcast-a-thon. And between when we're recording this, we have not done it yet, but it is coming up and we'll have finished by the time this episode is released. So that is very exciting. That is. And just so people kind of have a, a, a little projection of, of good things to come, we'll, uh, I think we'll, we'll have that episode. Or um, I should have asked you this off air. Are we able to Probably. take it and uh, download it as a standalone? I'm going to figure out how to do it. But yes, that is my all right. Goal. So we may have that episode coming out. If not, all of our socials and everything will have the link to go back and watch. And then uh, this episode will come out. And then you are going on a cruise to the Holy Land. I'm going on a cruise to the Holy Land with Reverend Adam Hamilton. Yes. So we will do an episode where we want to hear all about your Holy Land adventures. Yes. I'm so excited. Once in a lifetime experience. I'm going with my mother. And so we will record an episode following that and I can fill you all in. That'll be good. So those are a couple of good episodes coming up um, t- today. And I told Molly we were discussing what to talk about ahead. And, and, and so I'll go ahead and give you the, 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 the PSA ahead of time. I want to go in a little bit heavier direction today because I think my, my mind space and heart space has been on this topic lately. Just it's one of those seasons of pastoral ministry. Um, but I've had, we've had someone in the church who was a very big member die recently. Uh, another friend and another group outside of the church passed away unexpectedly. And then a very dear friend, a family friend of mine, a colleague's wife, um, we just friends with their family, uh, passed away from cancer this past week. And we actually, at the recording of this episode, just had her funeral yesterday. So my mind space and heart space has really been in the area of grief. So I tell you listeners ahead of time, I mean, hopefully you see the title, trigger warning, like we're, but, but it's good. It's, it's good conversation. So when Ben and I talk about, it is important. And we were just discussing this. He was giving me the play-by-plays of his friend's funeral and filling me in on the wonderful stories and showing there. And I was in tears pretty much the entire time, but I am just always emotional and wear my heart on my sleeve. So that is always a guarantee. <laughs> well, and I, and, you know, I, I think about, um, uh, Jim Valvano, the, the North Carolina state, um, basketball coach back in the day, the Jimmy V foundation and all that cancer research. He said it, his famous SB speech that if we can live every day where we laugh and we cry 
and we love. If you can pack those three things into every day, that is a day worth living. So boy, do uh, I feel that one. Yeah. 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 So grief is something that is important to talk about. It's okay to cry about. Um, the most important thing is we tell the truth about it so that we can name it for what it is and appreciate. I mean, obviously process the hard parts, but appreciate that there's, I'm convinced a whole lot of beauty that can be found in grief as well. So we'll take a few minutes to talk about that. Yeah. You had talked about before that the level of grief you feel, I'm not as eloquent with words as you are, but the amount of grief you feel really shows how much love there was present. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, oftentimes with grief, grief is simply the underbelly of love. Yeah. One of the reasons that grief hurts so bad is, is we feel the tangible loss of a presence we have loved. And, and so it hurts because we don't have that person, that presence anymore. And so one of the blessings, and obviously you don't feel it necessarily immediately, but one of the blessings that I think grief can bring is that it really is a tangible sign of how much we love and are loved. Yeah. And with grief and the loss of someone that comes with a lot of other emotions as well, like could be shock, confusion, could be relief if it was, you know, a long time coming and there's been preparations underway for a long time. So there are a lot more feelings that the grief may not appear right away. Yeah. And, and, and that's a great point, Molly. Um, delayed grief is real. I see yeah. it all the time. Clinicians will tell you that delayed grief is real. Oftentimes delayed grief can happen for any number of reasons. And by that, we mean you don't feel the grief until a, a, there's some distance between the act of loss and <clears throat> the grief that you feel. Sometimes we, and I'm, I'm bad about this, we make ourselves so busy yeah. that we take the time to sit with our loss. And it's in the sitting that, that you feel the grief, right? Um, and what do you recommend for that? Like the sitting in the grief, is that a literal act of you trying to clear your mind and deal with the feelings of grief that you're having, or just not busying yourself with adding more onto your plate or, you know, keeping busy? However, like, how would you recommend for people to really sit and process? You know, our Jewish brothers and sisters do this. They, you sit shiveth with somebody and yeah. That is that, that there is an observance that after a loss, you know, and, and in other traditions, you call it awake, but yeah. you simply come and you, and you sit. Um, so yeah, the sitting is, is difficult because uh, one of the things I thought about is we get so busy, let's cook a meal, let's do this, let's handle the arrangements, let's, and, and, and you have to be careful that all those things are great, but as long as that is your sole focus, be careful it's not subtly and subconsciously an effort to keep the grief at arm's length as long as my hands and feet are busy then my grief stays at arm's length yeah it's it's the quiet moments yeah after the visitation after the funeral after everybody goes home that you just simply sit and and what you sit in is literally you sit in the void that 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 seat at the kitchen table is now empty yeah um 
you know, so, so we, we, one thing we, we always think is good is that we pray among many things for the patients because grief, um, grief doesn't, is like a house guest that doesn't always announce it's coming and doesn't tell you when it's leaving. Yeah. So yeah, you just, some of it is just in the finding the margin in those quiet moments and saying, I'm going to sit and just be. And sometimes you say, you know what, maybe I'll sit and set a timer. Yeah. And when the timer goes off, I'll get up and start moving again, or I'll play a song. And when the song's over, I'll get up and move again. Yeah. Um, a lot of people you know, also have, they want to be distracted and they don't oh, yeah. want to feel that. And yeah, that we want to be, be distracted to. and we want to either be distracted or we want to numb it because yeah. it is a very hard thing to sit with. Grief is an emotion that can make you feel like you're drowning. And to understand, you may not understand it. Right. But I mean, if, if you think about when you yeah. grieve, it fit, think about the physicality of grief. It almost feels like this weight that starts in the pit of your gut of hurt, but you can almost feel it coming up your chest and, and you almost, you almost feel it like, like you're drowning in it. I mean, like yeah. you can't breathe from it and, and it's okay. You know, one of the things is, um, sitting gives us permission to just cry or to re just relax our muscles and just, you don't have to fight against grief. You, sometimes it's okay to be swept up in it. Yeah. Uh, and it can be a beautiful thing. It, it, it's a sign of love. It's a sign of love. I think that's a perfect flip to the coin. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when you, you think about say a spouse or a partner and you know, those feelings of butterflies, you know, mm -hmm. you used to get when you first yeah. courting and dating and all of that and courting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, I know. You got but you got swept up in it. Yes, right? correct. It's okay that grief sweeps you up a little bit. Yeah. You're not gonna drown, right? That's one thing to remember. You're not gonna drown in grief. Um, but fighting against it doesn't let your body and your soul process it fully. Yeah. I understand that. So there may be people experiencing grief. Um, let's talk both sides for the people experiencing it and the people who want to help those experiencing grief and going through it. So let's start with, I mean, we've kind of already talked about those who are experiencing it, sit in that grief, make sure you don't busy yourself to no end. You have to sit and feel it. Are there other things that as an individual going through it is helpful? Yeah. Um, a couple of things. One is you need tangible acts to help you process your grief. In the Christian tradition, we call these part of the funeral process. Okay. Um, you have a funeral for many reasons. And, 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 and this is a totally another separate topic, but I'm not one of those pastors who says funerals are for the living, not for the dead. I actually think they're for the dead too. That said, there is an element of ministry in a funeral for the living and tangible acts, rites of passage, committing someone to God, right? One of the things we say in our liturgy is, you know, that we, we give thanks for, you know, so-and-so before they were ours, they were yours, oh God. Mm -hmm. and so we return them to you. Those acts are ways of processing grief because they help draw finality which gives way to transition. Mm -hmm. um, and so having those, those acts to, um, 
but even going into observing anniversaries and birthdays, you know, like yeah. you don't have to stop doing that. You can, you can give thanks on those days. You can have a meal in honor of someone, you know, later and after the fact, you know, mm -hmm. um, I, we have a, a, a wonderful member of our church who passed a couple of years ago and her husband and son and daughter-in-law still are very close and it, late August is her birthday and she passed in late July couple, 2021 and they still meet at the Mexican restaurant on her birthday and have margaritas in her honor. Oh, yeah. And that was what she loved to do on her birthday was eat Mexican, drink a margarita and celebrate mm -hmm. her birthday. And you can keep doing those wonderful things and, and you can cry about it. You can laugh about it. You can have all the range of emotions, but those observances remind you of the love yeah. and it, and it, so here's another point to grief is to also remember there's no moving past grief. Yeah. You live with you it. Live with it. Yeah. Yeah. You just, and, and, and it takes different shapes and different forms. Um, and, and, and you learn to kind of just live with it in its different expressions. Another thing that I, I've learned from uh, David Kessler and, you know, I read a book that just changed the way that I see grief and in, in um, making meaning around grief. Kessler says comparative grief is one of the most dangerous things we can do. And what we tend to do is something terrible happens and you say, well, so-and-so's got it so much worse than me yeah. or this one over here. And you basically talk yourself out of feeling very the important, real. the importance yeah. of it. Yeah. And, 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 and I heard Kessler do this interview with Brene Brown during COVID. And it was one of those beautiful interviews I've ever heard. I think he made Brene Brown cry like three or four times <laughs> in the year. It was so beautiful. To be fair, it's not hard to make Brene Brown cry. No, but, no, but it, it was just, yeah. it was so beautiful. And, 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 and he said, you know what the worst grief in the world always is? Hmm. Yours. Yeah. Your grief is always the worst. Yeah. There's no comparison because only you can feel the depth of your grief. Yeah. So talking ourselves out of it through comparative grief is a dangerous game because it doesn't let us simply welcome grief as a natural human thing that acknowledges loss, welcomes the presence of God and invites God to heal us. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. What about on the flip side when someone you know is experiencing grief? And obviously this will come with, you know, we've already talked about personal grief, but when you are trying to help, assist, what about things for a church and then also as an individual, like actionable Great. items? Great question. Um, for many of us, we need to remember to do more and talk less. Mm. Preachers included. Yeah. Um. Don't be, don't be the friend of Job's who shows up when he's on the ash heap and lost everything. And you try to talk to him about why he doesn't need to feel this or, why <laughs> yeah. he, you know, God, God needed another angel and all kinds of no. bullshit yeah. lines that we've mm -hmm. heard. It's just awful. Don't, yeah. don't do any of that. One of the best examples, and I've used this as a sermon illustration before that I've ever heard is a friend once told me she lost her daughter to an, in an accident when her daughter was like 21 and a friend from, you know, she was just going through the motions for days, you know, the funeral and the this and the that. And it took her two or three days that, to realize that she got home and her sink in her kitchen was clean. And she remember after about three days, she's going, people are eating. How, what's going on? 
And she finally caught a friend from church who, who they were good enough friends. She had a key to her house. Yeah. And she was coming in every day and quietly doing her dishes and then leaving. Yeah. Those are the acts that mean the most. Find something simple that is easy to overlook and do it when nobody's watching. Yeah. And without any recognition. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and yes. And one of the things, and, and I would recommend this for everybody who's a member of a church to take a turn at this. And I saw this in full force yesterday. And of course, you know, it's the pastor and the pastor's wife who had passed. So, you know, it was double the enthusiasm, but if you cook, and even if you don't cook, you can go buy something. Tell whoever is in charge of your bereavement committee at church, and it's probably in most churches, little old ladies who just care. They know how to yeah. do this, which is to say they know how to show up when needed, right? And that's one of the most powerful things the church can ever do is show up when it's needed. Yeah. And say, keep me on the list for the next time a funeral meal needs to happen. And you'll get a call. And you'll get a time and you, you drop your food off by here. Go to KFC and pick up fried chicken or a big bowl of mac and cheese or, or cook, bake a pie if you're, if, if you're good at that stuff. Food is incredible in terms of ministry. And few entities do food better than the church. I My agree. children said to me, yesterday was their first funeral they ever attended. And they said, Dad, what are we going to eat for lunch? I said, oh. There's no lunch better than a funeral lunch. Yeah. Really? I said, oh yeah, they call it comfort food for a reason. And basically a funeral luncheon is just comfort food on steroids. Yeah. It's healing and nourishing. Yeah. Good. And you share it and you laugh and you cry and you have leftovers and you feed a family for days who may not have the energy to cook. And they can take home leftovers and reheat and freeze and do all the things. Um, but that's a tangible thing you can do is offer food and, and, and offer it. And if you're if you're able to stay for the luncheon and clean up, don't stay and take center stage. Yeah. Be on the cleanup crew mm-hmm. who comes in after the family leaves and just cleans the fellowship hall. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, one note I would like to make and add in this of how to help others experiencing grief is remember the anniversaries and the dates. And if you have a hard time or that's not your foray is just remembering that kind of stuff, make a note in your calendar, add it into your calendar to happen annually every year and give yourself that reminder because Mm -hmm. the people who have lost are going to be feeling that they live with it. Like we talked about earlier. And a friend whose mom passed away told me that, you know, what means the most is the people that remember three or four months from then or on special anniversaries or holidays like Christmas, you know, the first one and, you know, the next one. And just to continuously reach out and let them know that you're thinking of them goes yeah. one, like makes, yeah. That's an excellent point um, because when the fanfare is over, and we all go back to our regular lives, the people who are grieving will continue to grieve. So yeah. no one has to show up later. Um, when in doubt, obituaries are online now. And so if you if it's been weeks or a couple months and you're hearing this, you're going, oh, no, I didn't. Google their obituary. Yeah. 
a local funeral home, write it down in your calendar. You can find all of that stuff, but the records, the beauty is you can search most of it and put it in after the fact. So um, go back to your obits and and do that. Yeah. Yeah. Set up the annual reminders or some type of perpetual calendar in a notebook that you can yeah. look back on. That is hugely important. And, and, and to that point, but kind of going back to in the moment, and there's an NPR article I read years ago that um, it was entitled something like always go to the funeral. Mm-hmm. And I would say we, we really, and especially since COVID, are increasingly in a day and age where attendance at funerals is declining. Hmm. Some of that has to do with um, have funeral in the middle of the day and people's work schedules are harder to kind of manipulate. And I get it. And all all that's important. And, 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 you know, well, you know, I'll check up with them later, but a lot of times I would say, be careful that we're not avoiding the funeral because all funerals, I was taught this in seminary. I had a preaching professor who wrote a book on funerals. And he said at every funeral, there is death with a little d and death with a big D present. Death with a little d is the death of whoever you're grieving. Death with a big D, and, and you know this feeling that whenever you go to funeral, you come up close to your own mortality because we're all dying. And I worry that Sometimes we don't make the extra effort to go to funerals because it is hard to come up close and personal with your own mortality. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's a very scary thing. But name that for what it is if that's the case and go to the funeral anyways. Yeah. Because just simply your presence being there is one more body giving thanks and worshiping God for this person. It, it, it's tremendous. The family may never remember it, but it doesn't matter because that time shared, you get counted among the communion of saints. Yeah. You were in the room when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really special. Is there anything else that either churches or individuals can do to help someone through grief? I think always telling the truth at the end of the day, naming it, telling the truth about it, showing up. um, And I think that includes saying, I don't know how to best help you right now, or I don't know how to best X, Y, and Z counts. And let the grieving person take the lead and tell you what to do. Yeah. Being okay to say, I don't know what to do, but I want to help. Yeah. And they may say, you can't do anything right now. Then you can say, okay. I'm here to listen. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just sit here. Yep. Or, Or they may say, you know, I actually need. Yeah. But being okay with someone telling you what to do, and that's entering into, that's getting over your own fear and entering into their space of hurt. And that is a tremendous act of faith and faithfulness to do that for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How wonderful. I mean, wonderful in the way that it can be, but if we're looking at grief as the underbelly of love, then... Oh, it is important it, to feel that way. To love and to lose and to grieve and, and, and to be brought ultimately to Thanksgiving. There, there's nothing more human and beautiful and of God than that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for everyone for listening to this podcast episode today. We in, 
I enjoyed this conversation. I think it's an important humanizing one to do. So thank you for listening to the Faith Revisited podcast. We hope to hear you listen. We hope you're listening here soon. See y'all next time.